What's up, everybody? You're listening to Salah's Corner with the one and only Salah Muhammad. So what a week, what a two weeks it's been. We're still in the midst of a pandemic. There are still protests going on after the death of George Floyd, several weeks after the death of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. And honestly, I can say that there is a groundswell of support for Black Lives Matter and a huge calling for defunding police departments across the country. But we'll get to that in my closing. Right now, it's still primary season. We are still in election season. Presidential election is several months away, not not far at all. Primaries just wrapped up here in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. And so I wanted to sit down with someone to talk about elected politics. Jasmine Sessoms is the founder of She Can Win. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to getting more women into politics, regardless of their political affiliation. We talked about that regardless part, why it's important no matter what political affiliation the woman is that they get involved into politics, but also some of the hurdles that women face that men just simply don't even have to fathom. They don't understand. um, And it's just not on our radar. And we talked about how important it is for other women to see representation in leadership, how important it is for women to sit on some of these uh, committees where legislation directly impacts not just their health care, but their access. And we talked about just really what's happening in this political moment today. Here at Salah's Corner, I am always looking to connect with new people, hear new perspectives, and share new stories. And right now, I want to hear from you. Email me at realtalk at salahscorner.com and we can get your story featured on our next episode. I'm Jasmine Sessoms and I'm the founder and CEO of She Can Win. She Can Win. What exactly does that represent? Let's break that down. So She Can Win started out as a nonpartisan, and I can't stress nonpartisan enough, <laughs> training program to teach women how to run for office. And we started in 2014. Over the last few years, it's kind of evolved into training uh, women to run for office, still completely nonpartisan, training women to work on campaigns and really take leadership positions in campaigns, mm. but also investing in women of color's races. So we have a political action committee where we pull all of our money together so that we can seed campaigns. Now, before we really get a deep dive into what you do and how you uh, got into this work, I I, I just want to know from a personal standpoint, like I, I, I know me, I've you know, you know, before we before I hit record, I, you know, I was sharing that I've been uh, actively involved with a lot of protests over the last few days. And I know it's taken an emotional toll on me, given the state of things that we are just emotionally. You know, how, how are you feeling? I I mean, I literally go on a range of emotions, to be honest. Like I was watching CNN and they were they were charging, you know, they announced the charges. And I felt good about it, but I started to cry. Yeah. And my husband was the one. He was like, Jazz, are you okay? I was like, no, I'm fine. He was like, you're crying. And I didn't even realize that I was crying. And he was like, well, talk to me about what you what you feel. And I was like, well, I think in my mind, I'm, subconsciously, I literally just said, they're not going to be convicted of this because they just won't be brought to justice because there is no justice for black people. Mm. I was like, 
I didn't even realize I was thinking like that. And then tears were coming down my eyes. I think that we as black people have held things in for so long that we don't even realize that the trauma, the deep trauma that we are experiencing right now. Mm. You know, it, it's funny that you say that because I haven't actually shared this this with anyone yet, but I was yesterday I was out protesting and I I stopped, you know, I we were we were protesting for a while. I caught up with the protest around I want to say around 12th and Market and we kind of we walked all the way through it down to Penn's Landing. Uh, I'm sorry, not Penn's Landing, to the National Constitution Center. We kind of wrapped around Old City, walked up Walnut, all the way to University City, took a knee, walked all the way back to City Hall. We were, like, we walked <laughs> a very, a very long time. And I was, my feet were hurting, my legs were hurting. But I stopped, and I had been thinking about doing it throughout the entire protest. But I saw, when we got back to City Hall, I saw a barricade up with police officers. Behind the police officers were uh, National Guard troops with uh, rifles uh, and assault rifles. And, you know, I saw, I, I saw, you know, there was a number of people that were, you know, shouting obscenities to the officers. There was a number of people that were just engaging in conversation. And as the crowd started to disperse and kind of go on their way, you know, my plan was to end there with the protests, but I, I wanted to walk over to these, these two black officers who were standing there. And I just, like, I asked them how they were doing. And in the moment of asking them how they're doing, I felt an energy swell up in me. It didn't immediately come out, but I just I have no idea where it came from that, you know, it kind of it shook me a little bit because, you know, it just it dawned on me how much this was taking a toll on me and how much I'm not dealing with the emotional stuff that I carry on a, on an everyday basis. You know, so I, I asked this question to you as a as someone who navigates the space of politics a lot, as encouraging women to, to do this work, how, how do you deal with the emotional trauma of it on a day-to-day basis as an oppressed person, as a black person, as a woman, and still like have the energy to get up and do it again tomorrow? That's a really good question. I don't know. I feel like, <laughs> you know, my, my daughters having kids changes your perspective on the world. Right. And I know the harder I work, the harder I push, the better things will be for them. I think this week and last week with all of the election drama, because it was, it was a whole bunch of drama going on with the elections and, and the protests and just seeing our leaders kind of flounder, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. combined with COVID trauma, I have been more motivated than, than I've ever been to kind of make a change in the system. So, you know, using my voice, even if it's uncomfortable for me, really trying to change the system. You know, I, it's funny, I was talking to uh, my girlfriend and she was... She's political, but she was just like, you know, Jevin, you have a relationship with Mayor Kenny. I used to be his political director. I can't say that he's my favorite person, but I mean, <laughs> I do have a relationship with him. And she was like, let me ask you something. They're asking for us to be really, really peaceful, right? I was like, yeah, they're asking for us to be peaceful. She was like, how long has everyone been screaming, take that damn Rizzo statue down? Right. I was like, three years. She was like, and he does it like a thief in the night. 
overnight and he does it just like that, right? I was like, right. She was like, because, but he says that, you know, it's complicated to move and it's hard. And I was like, yeah, he did. She was like, but they only responded when we responded with rage. Right. I said, yeah, I'm very nervous. And I hope this administration is very prepared that you have now set a horrible precedent where peaceful petitions, asking letters, they get you nowhere with this administration, but rage burning and hate and anger that Mm. gets, that moves the agenda that changes a community that hardens us. Yeah. I hope that they are prepared for the, the casualties that will happen in the fight for equality in this city. I mean, all around the world, but specifically if we're talking about Philadelphia, I hope that they're prepared because now that we see that that is what you respond to, you will get that and more. Hmm. That that's that's very interesting. I haven't really thought about it from that perspective, but you're you're absolutely right. The fact that you you've been you've committed to doing this for three years, you've promised this, and it was never done, and you waited until because I was I was out last night, and I think we we didn't leave until nine, I believe nine p.m. Okay, and. You waited until most of the protesters were out of the area before you brought in the cranes to remove the statue. It's kind of that's that's a little I mean, come on. I I mean, you did it so that none of us could see it being removed. Right. In this cloak of secrecy. And we wake up. I I think I watch. I don't sleep that well. So I saw the news at 430 and they said breaking news. The Rizzo statue is removed. I was like, that has to be a mistake. So now I'm scrolling down my timeline. It's not on there. It comes back on the news cycle, and they're like, yeah, they removed it at 1.30 a.m. Right. What? Why would you, you know, you are, he is fanning the flames, and I don't know who is advising him now, but, like, this city, there's a clear divide going on, and I don't know what brings us back together at this point. I really, truly do not know. Hmm. That that's a uh, a topic that I don't know if anybody is ready to to actually have. <laughs> it doesn't right. seem like it. At least uh, it seems like folks are really looking to uh, to 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 the to the end of this protest, to the end yeah. of the the strife, to just you know kind of hide in their shells, hide in their bunkers, you know, like Trump did until this is all over. Let's 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 redirect a little bit and talk about how you got into this work <laughs> i don't know um, <laughs> you know it's funny i ask so many people that question and they all go like oh my god we're i don't even know like i met someone someone made a difference somewhere and yeah so um, let me see how did i get into this well it started with my friend running for office he is now the democratic whip jordan harris Mm. he was running for political office and i had no experience or anything else in politics and he was kind of like come on you're gonna come work on my campaign because you know jordan's been my friend for a long time i was like oh no i don't do politics not my thing i was in philanthropy at the time and he was like "Mm, i need people i can trust i don't really care that you don't know what you're doing let's just go so we went and he won and I was fundraising and doing events and community outreach for him. And next thing I knew, people started asking me to like work on their campaigns. They're like, hey, we like what you did on that campaign. Can you come over here? And I was like, oh, God, that's not even a thing. <laughs> I didn't 
but it just happened over and over because, you know, in Philly, there is an election every six months. Right. And um, I worked on so many campaigns, but I noticed that, oh, you want to know, a judge came to me and she was a very qualified black woman. She was very, mm. very qualified, very polished. It was impossible to raise money for her. I mean, I'd had a hard time raising money for her. And then I started thinking, like, oh, my gosh, you're the first woman whose campaign I've ever worked on. And I had worked on a lot of campaigns by then. Sometimes I was doing three and four at a time. I had never worked for a woman. I was like, oh, why is that? That's weird. I'm the, I like ladies. So I started looking around our government, and I noticed, well, there's not a lot of women in the government. Mm-hmm. And that was back in, let me see, Jordan ran in 2012. So this has been 2013. So I was like, why are there no women? So I started asking questions, and the, the women that were elected, uh, Councilwoman Blondell's Ronald Brown, I remember she was helping me. Uh, Maria Keona Sanchez was helping me. And they were like, oh, girl, nobody wants to do this. No woman wants to do this. I was like, are you really? No one wants to do this. So I did a little bit of research. But fast forward, uh, a very close friend of mine wanted to run. And she was kind of like, I don't really know everything. And I never say her name because now she's elected. And she, she would cringe if people knew that she, how, you know, how little she actually knew when she was running. Wow. She was like, I don't know how many petitions or anything like that. So she was like, but you've worked on a lot of campaigns. Can you help me? I was like, yeah, I can help you. Like, you don't have to pay me. We'll just, you know, kind of do like crash course sessions. Mm-hmm. So there were a couple women running. So they were all like coming over to my basement and we were just talking about like politics and where are you in your campaign? What are your people telling you? Well, I don't think you should do that because I think this is, and I was just advising them and four of them ran and they won. Wow. That's won, amazing. Ran against the party, and we won. That's amazing. That's actually amazing. No, no, it was it was, it was a fluke, really. It wasn't a thing. Hmm. So the next go round, I remember um, working on another campaign, and these women. It was a judge. It was judge time, and all of these women were coming over to me, like wherever I would go, because I always wear really colorful glasses. They'd be like, "Hey, you run that program that trains women, right?" I was like, "Oh no, it's not a program." And they were like, well, we heard that, like, you know how to beat the party. I was like, oh, I don't know if I know how to beat the party, but it's not a thing. Fast forward, it was so many women that were asking. I remember running the African-American History Museum, and 36 women came to the training. Hmm. And it just, it became a whole other thing. And then a few years ago, I realized we were training women, lots and lots of women, but one thing that I noticed were minority women were having trouble raising money. And I was like, you know what? If you come to our training program and if you have a viable candidacy, which I'm going to make sure you have a viable candidacy, I want to give you money to start your campaign. So that's when we started the pack and I fundraised for that. And I could, you know what I mean? So right. that is like it in a nutshell. I fell, I truly fell into it, but my very first actual political campaign was with Rep Harris, and, you know, now he's the Democratic whip, he is. but he was the person that kind of was like, no, you come with me, we're going to do this, I don't care that you don't know what you're doing, he he believed in me before I even knew a thing, so shout out to him, if that, he's listening. <laughs> that, 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 that's awesome, uh, shout out to Rep Harris for sure, he's a, he's a friend of the podcast, He's he's been on a few different times and events that we've had. You know, you we we did it. We did a, a roundtable uh, a few weeks ago with a professional women's roundtable, and you 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 shouted out a, st- a statistic that was kind of shocking to me, and it was that you have to ask a woman seven times 
to to yeah. run for office before they accept what I, I mean I, I can't really ask you know I don't necessarily know if you have the answer as to why but what I'm, I'm sure you've had folks come to you and ask you to run for office by now um, <laughs> but you know what what do you think is that that hurdle or can you just speak to it for from a from a man who just can never experience that like what yeah. what is that like to have to to overcome that huge obstacle especially in a lot of cases being the first woman to do something because it's 2020 and that's still the thing or the first black woman to do that. something can you can you just speak to that a little bit so yeah absolutely women are wired so differently than men and i have been studying this since we since i've gotten in this game and do you want so i always use this example when i'm talking in my first intro class where she can win there's a job right and there are 10 bullet points on that job if a woman doesn't meet let's say she meets nine she won't apply for the job it's science you she'll say i'm not qualified because i don't have this one uh, requirement that the job is required hmm. a man on the other hand will see those 10 bullet points be have three of the requirements and still apply and be insulted if he does not get the job. Mm. We are wired differently mm. than than men. And for a woman, running for office is such a huge sacrifice that all of these other things come into play before you can make the decision. If you have children, if you have a husband, how are you going to balance work life? Some women are the caretakers of their parents at a certain age. All of those things, how am I going to pay my bills? All of those things factor in when a woman is considering running for office. Who's going to take care of my kids? Who's going to cook dinner? Who's going to take care of my husband? Who's going to help me uh, clean my house? And that is why women become so hesitant because we are the main caretakers. Even if you're a single woman, those things kind of run through, well, how will I pay my bills? Whereas men, they are very on go. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I'll figure it out. And yeah. I have I've worked with lots and lots of men on campaigns and now thank god i've worked with lots and lots of women and i can honestly say i have never ever ever when a man has come to me and said like yeah i'm thinking about running but i, I was like okay well what's your hesitation what's the but they'll say um i don't know exactly what i want to run for or i don't want to run against this person with a woman she'll say oh gosh I don't want to leave my job. I need to worry about my kids. I mean, it's routine. I expect the answers now. So that is why you kind of have to do more convincing with a woman because all of these other layers are involved when running for office as a woman. Hmm. What kind of support system would you say as a as a man who's just trying to, you know, if I if I spot a woman who would be a fantastic candidate, what what type of support system should I be? For that person, you know, maybe they're not a spouse, maybe they're a friend, maybe they're a family member. You know, should I be uh, giving them to to as as encouragement, other than just saying you should run? I think this is what I always tell people: if you have a friend or or anyone that wants to run for office, ask them first and foremost what they need. And if it's a woman, she'll tell you what she needs. <laughs> Very so true. Like, oh, that's great! Can you drop off this, 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 and this? Simply asking sometimes is is a thing and you know sometimes you don't have the money to donate i tell this to people all the time but you can contribute to campaigns in mm -hmm. different ways it doesn't always have to be monetary cook meals for them offer to pick up their kids those things go a really really long way for women really long way 
say, hey, I know that I see that you have to do some door knocking. I'll walk with you. Those things go a really, really long way in a women-led campaign. So be a support, but most importantly, ask, how can I help you? She, she will probably tell you. Hmm. I said this before. It's 2020 still. So the question, unfortunately, it still comes up as to why do we need more woman representation and every level of government, whether it's judge, whether it's city council, whether it's state rep, whether it's federal level. And and for a lot of people, for me, it's it's obvious. But can you just speak to the importance of that representation for women leadership? Because, you know, I know for me personally, especially being a black man, I can't strive for something if I don't see someone that looks like me in that position. Right. Like I could never imagine. Can you just speak to the importance of that uh representation and leadership representation is so important because like these are the people that are making our laws and governing it's i'll tell you a very quick story sure two years ago i go to harrisburg and it's funny i was going to go do something with jordan and i got to listen to a committee hearing and i was like oh what committee is this and uh, the person that was with me was like oh it's the health and they were talking about access to health care, uh, access to like abortions and, and, and birth control and, and they were women's reproductive, essentially what they were talking about. This committee was made up of six white men, one black guy. Wow. Talking about women's reproductive. And I was just like, no, this isn't real, is it? And the person I was like, oh yeah, girl, this happens all the time here. I cannot put it more plainly as to why representation matters because if you would have had a black woman, a Hispanic woman, a white woman on there, they could have told you everything that y'all are proposing is going to cause an uproar. Everything you're proposing won't work for a woman. I'm going to tell you why, because I'm a woman. Not having a woman on that committee was such a disservice to those that they serve in the Commonwealth. And the fact that none of them even realized what a disservice that was, was mind boggling to me. Representation matters when you are making legislation for the masses. Hmm. Uh, I just looked up a statistic while you were while you were talking about that. Uh, women legislators in uh, the Pennsylvania General Assembly makes uh, is one of four legislators. That's mm. that's that's disturbing, <laughs> to, to say the least. You know, not even not even half of representation. That means there are tons of committees like the one you you were uh, partaking in that yeah. have no voice for women at all. That's that's it's wild insane. to me. Well, I mean, it it is wild. Well, the number of black women in state legislators in PA is only nine. We only have nine black women. Sheesh. We only have nine out of 67 women, 253 seats, hmm. nine. It's very scary. The past two elections we've seen, uh, well, I would say this one, uh, this primary election that just took place and 2018, we've seen a lot more, one, we've seen a lot more candidates running for sure, especially in 2018, um, especially in um, city council for sure. There was a huge wave of, of new candidates that were running for office. I've seen personally a lot more women and I've talked to a lot more women who are running, who are trying to get their their feet wet. I sat on a panel last year. Well, well I, I was in the audience for this panel and I was listening to all of these different women and 
they talked about a lot of things that you you said, but they also talked about the the amount of sexism that they faced on the campaign trail and how that in itself was just another hurdle that we haven't even talked about yet. A woman running for city council going to knock on someone's door and kind of having to battle with why should a woman be in leadership to begin with, let alone my policies would actually benefit you, right? And so it's it's like there's so many avenues to this discussion on getting women in politics. I don't even sometimes I don't even know where to begin. No, you're you're absolutely right. That I mean, I've experienced it even just working on political campaigns. Yeah. One thing everyone knows, I'm a mom and a wife, first and foremost, from anything else. I have a three year old and a six year old daughter and I never fails. Minimally, if I am out past like seven thirty at night, who's watching your children? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, all the time. Wow, wow, you're you're out a lot without your husband. Never fails. Wow. Even when I'm working, fundraising, doing what I do to make sure that the candidates, it never fails that someone asks, "Wow, who's watching your children?" Is this nineteen twenty or twenty twenty? There you go. Like, it what? Occur to them how offensive that is, but never when I staff a man, I've never asked, I've never heard anyone say, hmm. "Who's watching your children?" Unbelievable. So it's those underlying things that they they eat at you. You know, yeah. they they sink in and the jab. It 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 it, it tears little pieces, you know, and and subconsciously it sinks in and. If you don't have a good tribe around you that lift you up and keep you going, it could be really hard and really lonely. Hmm. You know, earlier you made a point to mention that you uh, you work with both uh, um, or it doesn't it doesn't matter their political affiliation. Right. So you you work with folks from from any party. Why? Why is why is that important to highlight? So here's the thing. When we go, and I'll talk about the state house first because Philly is such a democratic town at this point. Well, it's kind of changing. Yeah, I see these independents are coming. Listen, Kendra, Kendra said a wave that is coming. Kendra said a wave. Yeah, she did. Lover, 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 lover. Yeah. Shout out to Kendra. Mm-hmm. But when they get to the state house, they need to be able to move the legislations and the policies that are going to affect our commonwealth to be better. And I like to take the party label off while we're all learning together. Because when you get up there, trust me, there'll be enough to divide you. But right now, you need to focus on one, how to become a better candidate, two, Mm -hmm. how to win, three, put self before party. And that's something that we we always, always, always uh, teach in our classes. So in our last boot camp, we had, I think, 11 Republican women, three of them being black. Shout out to them. We had Democrats and we have four independents. All so we mix them up and they're all sitting there doing call time together. Hmm. And they, you know, the call time exercise to raise money for chicken one. They're all sitting there figuring out how they can create a, a door knock plan that's effective and we give them scenarios. So they're already working together. Now, granted, whether they get to the state house or city council or wherever the school board or wherever they're going and they retain that, I try and I try to teach it. But I do know for that one day that we are in boot camp, they are all working across the aisles. 
and they see the things and the activities at the end and see what gets done when they work together. Being nonpartisan has been imperative for me, and I, I, I'll never change. I know people are, um, some people from the Democratic Party are kind of like, you know, when you train a whole bunch of women, regardless of the party, you know the Democratic Party, we need more candidates, we need more candidates, we need you to focus on Dems. I can't do that. Hmm. I won't do it. I, I won't do it. Hmm. I just feel like there is something so special about being nonpartisan. Hmm. It's that's I mean, that's a very unpopular stance in a, in a time in oh, American yeah. politics when we are more partisan now than we've ever been. How do you maintain that? Because that's that's I mean, I've I I I I am the same way. You know, I, I encourage, you know, I have my own politics, but I encourage folks to have conversations, particularly with folks that they disagree with, because there is power. And that dialogue and there is power and be able to progress the conversation and your own ideas because you really can't really get anywhere if you're just talking to people you agree with. But, you know, how do you how do you maintain that? Because that's that's hard. It is super unpopular. People ask me and the one thing I have, a, a, I have a board for She Can Win and they, they always keep me honest. The one thing that I am always very acutely aware of is I do not insert my own personal opinions. In just about anything. So it's very rare that you will hear me say, unless I'm talking about like an endorsed candidate of ours or, or whatever, you won't really hear me take a stand on the soda tax. You won't hear me take a stand on, you know, certain things because I take myself out of it. And I know what you're thinking, like, dude, but you're human. You have to have opinions. I have lots of opinions, <laughs> but the work is so much bigger than me. Right. that I know that at any moment when I side for one or the other, and I'm thinking of the soda tax, so that's probably the one that I, I had the most pressure about. I know that the work cheapens when I start inserting Jasmine's personal opinions on things, because I do have them. I am unapologetically black, and I unapologetically advocate for black people, but specifically black women. But I have to keep that stance. I feel like the work loses its significance when I start playing party politics, right. when I start becoming part of that machine, because I got to tell you, there's been plenty of times either party has tried to pressure me to endorse a candidate that I didn't feel was right for us or, you know, ask this candidate to drop out and we'll find them a cushy job. Once I start playing those party politics, the work itself loses its significance. Yeah. We, you know, Shirley Chisholm is my spirit animal. We are unbought and unbossed. I, I agree. I think especially when you have that leverage with candidates that it's important that you stay nonpartisan specifically because of that leverage. Super, super important. But with with that said, you know, going back into I think that brings us full circle with what's happening today. And this idea that protesting means you align with one party or another, this idea that you are talking about you know, black life and not wanting to die at the hands of a police officer. <laughs> it means That's that right. you're means that you're a liberal or something. You know, how have you been engaging with just all of the news that's been happening over the last, I guess, week or so? And this continual conversation on how black people are treated in the criminal justice system, how there's calls for reforms that you know, while the heart of it is to change how black people are, are um, engaging with the system, but will obviously have ripple effects for people of 
poor people particularly and, and minorities everywhere. How have you been engaging in that space? So, one, I first and foremost practice self-care because this is trauma. Yeah. This is truly trauma on our, on our spirits. So I want to say to the listeners, for sure, try to practice self-care when you are engaging because you have to take breaks. But, you know, yesterday there was an advocacy effort by uh, our legislators and they unveiled a plan Mm -hmm. and and it was led by Jordan and um, I I thought it was a really great plan. I think that for me, what I've been doing is, is talking to smaller groups of people to figure out where are the the loose ends, where are the threads that we need to pull on, not just on the legislative side, but in the community side, the grassroots side. How are we, what do we want? If I've been asking this, this is my my overview of questions. If Philadelphia was a perfect place to be black or brown, what are the things that would need to be in place? And kind of working backwards from there, Definitely the the protests and the rallies and and the the social media posts. I did not participate in a black hashtag Blackout Tuesday. Neither did um, I. No shade. It just on election day, I will not be blacking out. It's just not something that I can do. Yeah. So I can't I I can't do that. But definitely, you encouraging those that have a voice to use the voice, and engaging with people that have typically not been in the process. Mm-hmm. You know, um, talking to some of my best friends from childhood, they are not political people, but talking to them about what they see and what's going on in their community and how can I be of service in there? You know, I got to tell you, my inbox and like my emails have been just flooded with people saying, how can I be involved? How can I be a better advocate? So I think that is a new avenue that she can win, can participate in, is really creating not just candidates, not just operatives, but actual advocates and community organizers because that is what we need right now. Right. Yeah, it, it's funny that you say that because I've, you know, I, I, I too did not participate in uh, Blackout Tuesday. But on top of that, like the, the message of Blackout Tuesday kind of got co-opted a little bit and yeah, got twisted and, and just people lost the, you know, it, it got off track like mid day and then kind of had to get back on track later in the day it was it was interesting just to see the transformation of that that process but like i've had a number of people in my inbox over the last few days just like yo how can i be supportive how are you like what can i do who can i donate to what can i do and like i love that energy but like this is not a one day thing this is a sustained effort of constantly getting out there devoting your time resources money if you can afford it to this cause so yeah i just wanted to second that we did just finish a primary any thoughts on that i don't want you to get any trouble about speaking on anybody oh, in particular. No, no, no trouble at all <laughs> no trouble at all let's see so really early results let's talk about the really early results i'm gonna mm-hmm. pull it up right now I saw that our good friend Larry Farnese mm. seems to have taken a tumble to a new progressive. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've that seen is, that. That is a thing. Yeah. You know, no, that's a, that's a thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
You know, uh, I've seen but... him in in just on, off, not necessarily off the record, but I've seen him no, in a number that? of different events, and he he's making a very strong progressive push. I'll say that he's trying. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, there, there we have it, right? Let's talk about Amin Brown, who is mm. an independent. Yeah. He well, you know, he changed. He was a Democrat, but he then was changed Democrat parties, and then changed parties. Technically, he's an independent. Like it's a win for you for the independent. Yeah, for sure. And he is still in the lead. Yeah. As you know, and I know that the commissioner's office is updating the uh, Phil- the results dot Philadelphia votes dot com. I know they're updating it twice a day with the mail in votes, and right now, you know, he he really he's really in the lead. So and it's interesting. I, I was going <laughs> to say, mean, Rick. Like, I don't know if you know. Yeah, I was going to say another another candidate who kind of teeters into that independent area, Rick Krajewski out of West Philly. Yeah. Um, he's he's really pulling that one away. It's tight right now and I don't know when how by the time this will air Tuesday. So, I don't know how much Got will it. change by then, but all all three of those candidates are really you know, looking yeah. like they're going to pull away. Which I, is, which I, is amazing, you know, I've had to, had an opportunity to, to sit down and, and talk with him. First of all, I didn't realize he was only like 28, which made me feel old. Yeah. <laughs> he, when he said it to me, I was just like, wait, you're 28? Oh, my God. I'm getting too old. But, you know, I, I really loved his energy and his stance on just really wanting to change the narrative of, like, the Democratic Party of old, especially in yeah. Philadelphia and start making a very, very strong progressive push. No, I mean, I, I, I like that energy. Also, shout out to Regina Young. You know, she is beating still Maria Donatucci, and I'm mm-hmm. looking at the, the, the new results. I think the closest state rep race that I can see is, is 182nd, the Brian Sims and, and Marissa. Yep, yep. They're like neck and neck right now. I mean, she's still winning, but they are they're neck and neck. So, you know, I got to tell you, this election is just, I talked to Nina Ahmad. She's one of our endorsed candidates. I talked mm-hmm. to her this morning, and I was just like, man, I feel for you guys. Not actually knowing, especially being in, a, like, close races, I wouldn't be able to sleep. Never in a million yeah. years do you think that we'd be here on election, yeah. on election Wednesday. Yeah, I... I you know what I, I mean? It is insane. I have dreadlocks. I would be bald by then because I'd be pulling my hair out just like, yeah, I, I would not be able to sleep at all. My last and, and final question, uh, it's, you know, I don't, I, I think it's still too early to, to, to see. I haven't been able to see turnout numbers oh, with this yet. yet. You know, it, it's still too early for that. Do yeah. you, do you think... COVID-19 is, is still playing, like, I missed all of this, right? Like, we got a primary, we got protests out every freaking day, we got, like, right. the Rizzo statue finally coming down, we got cops going crazy, we got state police and, and a National Guard, and we still got a pandemic. <laughs> like, what? but, like, do still you, COVID. yeah, do you have optimism on turnout once we get to November election? So I was on a sunshine call with the commissioner's office today, mm-hmm. sunshine meeting, and, you know, obviously it's public comment, just like city council, and people just were really angry yeah. and really, really frustrated with the process of voting this go-round, consolidating those polling places, the mail, the confusion of the mail. I am very, very, very nervous 
um, about what happens in November in such an important election that the whole world will be watching Pennsylvania, which is an important state, and we will still be counting votes, you know, yeah. four weeks after the election, yep. mishandling votes. And, you know, no knock to the commissioner's office, but we have, and, and you know what, to be I believe that people were voting in higher numbers this go round. People wanted to vote. Yeah. People were standing in line for hours to vote. Yeah. And a lot more people but, registered by for yeah. mail-in ballots as well. And so we have to get our act together, Commonwealth. We have to get our act together so that we our voices can be counted and heard. Because the energy is here. We need to capitalize on the energy. And right now, we have been caught out there woefully unprepared. Hmm. Uh, it's definitely, we, we really need to be having conversations about what that's going to look like because I don't, uh, I think nobody knows what state we're going to be in. I mean, if anything, 2020 has been showing us this is a rocky ass year. So we really should be preparing for the worst come uh, November. Jasmine Sessoms, she can win. Uh, Can you tell us where to find, if I have a a candidate that I really want to convince to run for office, where should they be going? So they can definitely go to our website and it's www.shecanwin.net or you can send me a DM on Instagram or a message on Facebook and that all of our handles are exactly the same at shecanwinnow. Perfect. Jasmine, thank you for, for this conversation. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. No, me too. It was such a good time. Thanks for having me. Once again, I want to thank Jasmine Sessoms for joining me on the podcast and just uh, talking about politics from the scope of how women get involved and how women can find space uh, just like men. You know, there's a couple of things that we talked about that really it really helps to understand the moment that we're in right now. And it was not just women in leadership roles. Right. She talked a lot about how, you know, she sat in on different committees that were led by all men and how she she had to be the voice and talk about to to the different leadership about the importance of having women on those committees. But that also really tells the story of how we're seeing uh, policy take shape in this moment of defund the police, largest numbers of protests taking shape around the country. And there's a lot of policy taking shape right now. And a lot of it does not take into consideration how it impacts specifically black people. And that's that that's incredibly important because all of this started with the oppression of black people. And if there is policy being put forth as it relates to defunding police, as it relates to even police reform, if it doesn't specifically take into account how black people are impacted, it is not going far enough. It is not inclusive enough. And honestly, it's just trash because at the root of it all, black people are systemically worse off by police by our criminal justice system than any other race in this country, hands down. And if you do not include black people in that policy, if you do not include black people into how that policy is written, thought out and implemented and paid for, then it's trash. As we start to see policy take shape and we start to see the narrative shift away from this protest 
into written policy, into presidential debates, it's incredibly important to see how the rhetoric will start to shift and how we'll see people use the idea of being tough on crime and heinous acts that will will ultimately take shape and even sometimes an uptick in crime as a reason why we need more police, as the reason why we need higher police budgets, and as a reason why police need to act tough and be tough in some of these neighborhoods. So please keep that in mind as we start to see the narrative shifts. Protesters, this work isn't done. Petition writers, this work is just getting started. And for protesters that are looking for ways that you can still be effective, that doesn't mean that you have to continuously stand on the streets and scream at the top of your lungs. Look to those petitions, look to those letter writers, look to the numbers and, and, and people you can call to make your voice heard. Thank you as always for tuning in. Please don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, peace y'all.